is The Unseen, and I'm your host, Mike Cleland. My guest, Jean Walker, has had a lifetime of unusual experiences, and these are told in her book, Family Secrets, with the subtitle, One Family's True Paranormal Experiences. Behind her own story, she details a long list of other events that happened to her family. These include psychic incidents, precognitive dreams, UFO sightings, uh, lots of them, poltergeist events, ghostly apparitions, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, fairies, gnomes, and amorous elf-like teenagers. That's a lot. Now, I had the privilege to meet and spend time with Jean. She is a wonderful lady. And like her, I grew up in the Midwest, and I could so easily connect with her big-hearted nature. And having spent time with her, I am really grateful that she would write this book. It is both her own story as well as her family's. And I must commend Jean's bravery in writing something that so plainly tells such a strange and disturbing story. This audio conversation was recorded on Tuesday, March 3rd, 2020. Please enjoy. Jean, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Well, thank you for having me. Really, I've been trying to do this for a long time, and you've been on my list for a long time, and just for a million little reasons, we haven't gotten around to it. So this feels great to finally be talking about your book. We met at the um, UFO conference in Arkansas, the Ozark Mountain Conference, a few years ago, and you were at a table right near my table, and you were selling your book, and we got to hang out a bunch at that conference just because just the way it is at those things. So so this feels great to, to connect again, and you were selling your book, which I have a copy of, called Family Secrets, and it's sort of your memoir, or let's say your family memoir, and, and all these strange experiences some of not all of them are ufo there's a whole long list of things including psychic experiences as well as um, almost poltergeist or haunting experiences and these are not just you it's shared by other members of your family too so how how was it writing that book for you well it brought back a tremendous amount of um, memories and there were times that a lot of it just really affected me um like when I talk about uh, losing my children, them taking my babies from me, um, the actual abductions and how scared I was as a child and being followed all the time. And it just brought back a tremendous amount of memories that were not all good at all. And I understand that. And at the same time, I found it to be a really... I guess, sort of a heartening story. I mean, part of the story is your family's history. And and it was really interesting to hear how your family arrived in Missouri, as well as the little psychic happenings that stretched back, I think, mostly on your mother's side of the family, if I remember correctly. Well, my father's side, uh, it was his grandmother and my great-grandmother that was the psychic. And um, I I was like nine years old when she passed. I remember her, though, so well because she was so different. And um, so both my parents are deceased when I wrote this book. I wish they had been alive because I I know I could have gotten more information. And would they have been accepting of this type of book, do you think? Um. They accepted most of the things I did, so <laughs> probably, uh, you know, yeah, I think they would have. Oh, that's good. That's good, because I, uh, um, I don't think I could have written the books I wrote with my parents still alive. I think they would not have understood. I think it would have really bothered them if I did. So for me, like, I felt like I remember having this conversation with my sister, like, like I was able to go down this road and write these books Mm-hmm. because my parents had both passed, and that happened in um, the early 2000s. For both of them, they died a year apart. Oh, dear. Well, there were things in there that I had that I wrote about that I really had wished they were still around because I had questions I couldn't answer. 
Um, it's one reason I'm going to do a regression. There's still a lot of things. I've got all these pieces of a puzzle, and I can put some of it together, but I can't put it all together. Oh, and you may, you may never be able to put it all together. That's difficult. But your brother, Ted, shows up a lot in the book, and he helped you with these stories. Yes, he told me stories, and then he would maybe remember a little something that I didn't remember, and uh, some of his stories he had not told me before, but most of them he had. So yes, he was a big help. The, the book starts out with one of your earliest memories, and that was a memory literally from the crib. Yes. Which I think is remarkable, because I don't have any memories that young. Actually... A very faint memory I have, but uh, and it doesn't have anything to do with UFOs. Just I remember my mom in the room with me as a as a little baby holding me. Oh, and uh, but but what was so tell that first memory? I remember laying in my crib, and I don't know how old I was, but I would say under a year or around a year, maybe. And um, I seen this horrible face lean over me and look at me over my crib and it was so scary and I think that's why I remembered it uh there was um this like I said this face and I thought growing up for a long time maybe that was a clown face looking at me because it had a I can remember that it had a bald head it was very frightening and because it didn't look like anyone I had seen before, anything I had seen before. And I have since read that this was common to mistake uh, aliens for a clown or an owl, which you know a lot about. Well, I know a lot about the owls, and there's plenty of other things in there, too. You know, you could certainly... Um, uh deer and squirrels i have there's a wonderful set of stories where someone not a wonderful but there's a set of stories uh, of someone seeing a giant squirrel in their bedroom like a four foot tall squirrel in their bedroom and it understandably frightened them terribly but that is kind of irrational squirrels simply don't get that tall so um there's these odd things that show up in the screen memory aspect yeah yes exactly and, and clowns is certainly one of them yeah yes and um later after I went through so many things growing up, I realized that that wasn't a clown. And why it frightened me so bad was that I'm sure it was an alien. I just knew it in my heart. So I think they picked me at a very young age to um, provide the babies for them as I got older. And um so, I'll, you know, I'll talk about that later. But I, I really think they picked me from the crib. And I think these things also run in families. Usually if you find one person in a family that's had these odd experiences, uh, somebody else in the family will have also seen these things. And in the book that plays out as your brother and and certainly your grandmother and had psychic abilities, correct? Yes. My great-grandmother, yes, she was very psychic. She was a well-known psychic here in Kansas City, and she would appear on the radio and uh, not appear, but she would talk on the radio, and she would um, get calls from people all the time to do psychic work for them, and uh, she was very good at it. And even in her early childhood years, they... Um, they didn't understand it back then in her lifetime, and they would call her crazy because of the things she did. So she got to be known as Crazy Nettie, and um, she took a lot of punishment for being the way she was. And and I think times have changed. Yes. I, I can't say what you might have experienced since coming out with your own information, but I suspect it has not been as hard as it would have been for your grandmother. Or great-grandmother. Yes, very true. <laughs> I wish she was alive so I could see if she had had any of these type of, um, you know, E.T. experiences. And they certainly may have been framed in some way that didn't seem E.T. at all. And for instance, well, in, in the book, you you talk about a field behind your house where you're growing up and you would have been a young girl. And there were lights in this field and you would see glowing lights in this field. Yes. Yes. And we also would spot UFOs. We were kind of up on a hill 
and the backyard ran downhill quite a ways, and there was a pond back there. And we had a horse at one time, so uh, we had a, a barn, and um, my brother and I would play back there in the field and around the pond all the time. And this is where I started getting these sick, awful feelings all the time of being followed and watched. And at the same time, you you tell a lovely story of seeing these butterflies in this field. Well, it was it, it was closer to the house where I seen that. It was a um, beautiful day, and there were just, I don't know if you call them hordes, but I think hordes of butterflies. I mean, I've never since then seen so many, but it was very country where I lived then. Everybody had an acre, just many acres of land, and um, we had an acre that wasn't built up like city then. It was much more country, and I never seen that many butterflies again since then. They were absolutely beautiful, and it was a very pretty sunny day, and I was out playing by myself, and um, I spotted these little creatures and I sit down on the ground and played with them. And, and these would, you describe them as fairies. Is this? Yes. You have this as a conscious memory. Yes, I do. They, I remember having such a good time playing with them by myself on this beautiful day with all these butterflies. And it was just like a beautiful experience. I never forgot it. And then also elves, not just fairies, but little, you describe little short elves, like a, like a little garden gnomes almost. Yes, I um, we had a field right next to us, and then on the other side of that were several houses with kids that I would play with. So I would have to go through this, it wasn't very big, about a half an acre field to get over to their house. And one day coming home from playing with them, there was a stump out there. And I never forget, I, I stopped and looked at it. It was this little, like, known or elf, and it was just standing there on the stump looking at me. And how big would it have been? About a foot, maybe. Oh, wow, so very small, yeah. And um, I had never seen anything like that, but for some reason I didn't want to approach it. It wasn't like the little fairies I played with. Uh, that known, I don't know, maybe it frightened me, I don't know why, but I just looked at it and couldn't believe what I was seeing, even as a child, but I didn't want to go near it, and so I just ran on home. <laughs> wow, and then also around the same time, and this is an early part of the book, you were seeing um, what you called the spaceman as a child. Yes, yes. Um, I distinctly remember seeing him often. I uh, We'd be out on summer nights playing with the other kids, and my brother said he remembered me running up and grabbing him one night saying, you know, like we were playing hide and seek with the other neighborhood kids. And I told, he said I was just almost hysterical. And I grabbed my brother and said, don't you see the spaceman? And that was the name I had given him because he had a silver suit that he wore. And I I can't remember the head. That's the weirdest thing. I can't remember if he had like a helmet on or was it like an alien head. I can remember the silver suit and seeing him chase me around wherever I was. He'd hide behind bushes or trees, but he would always be present a lot. Anyway, not always, but he would a lot of the time be around watching me. And then also... um. There was a pond with sparkles on it you talked about in the book. Yes, I. we had that pond right behind our house at the end of our, actually it wasn't on our property, but it was right at the end of our property where it began. And um, my brother and I was back there playing one day, and we were below the dam area. I looked up, and I seen that silver suit running down that dam area. And I told my, I don't think I told my brother anything. Somehow I got my courage up. I chased it. And by the time I got up the bank to where the uh, pond was, it had disappeared. But I looked down in the water and I could see 
like when you throw a pebble in the water and you can see the rings that go around and around. And I could see that something had been dropped in there. And I um, leaned over and really took a look at it because I could see sparkles, silver sparkles, like going around them rings. Like, and I think it was the suit sinking deep, deeper into that pond. Yeah, I remember being very moved and being touched by some of the stories of your childhood in the book. Now, unfortunately, we're going to have to take our first break. For free Dreamlanders, you will hear a few commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. We are back on The Unseen with my guest, Jean Walker, and she is the author of a wonderful little book called Family Secrets. And just before the break, we were talking about her childhood growing up in Missouri, in rural Missouri. And and you shared something about flying as a child, like your ability to fly. Now, you, you amended this and said it was actually an out-of-body experience, so you weren't actually in your body while flying. Did I, am I getting this right? Yes, you are. I, um, when I got a little older, uh, I would think, okay, I'm going to fly tonight. And I didn't know what I was doing exactly. I, and I would think I'd want to go visit other places. So at night, usually when I was falling asleep or about that, that time, I would leave my body and just float through the windows and outside. And I remember the moonlight being so bright and pretty. And I would just fly all around the countryside, looking and seeing different things. And all my life, I've been very attached to animals. I'm an animal lover for sure. And I would um, see little animals like... um, deer or turtles or something moving and sometimes I would follow the roadways like it because I knew like certain places that I could go like to my grandmother's house and like that and um, I remember watching the roads and seeing cars with their lights on and I would just fly above the city or wherever I decide to go and as I got older I got more scared of doing this because I began to realize I wasn't in my body. And then I got so I was just very frightened that someday I wouldn't be able to get back in my body. And I stopped doing it. I've tried since then and I can't, I guess I need to practice more. I haven't been able to do it again. So you just did this naturally. No one had to teach you. You just naturally started having out-of-body experiences. Yes. And how old do you think you were? Oh, 11 maybe. Oh, wow. So very young. Wow. Okay. I could see being joyous at the same time being a little scary when you realize that like part of the whole thing would be to come back and get back into your own body. Yes. And... um one of the things when we were talking earlier about the spacemen, I was so frightened all the time and would tell my parents constantly that something was going to get me. And I would tell them um, how scared I was and frightened. And I remembered one time my dad saying, maybe we should put bars on her window because she is just so scared and thinking somebody's going to get her. And that was because I knew they were watching me all the time. Even when I was in my house, they continued to watch me. So that was frightening, too. And then I started doing these out-of-body experiences. And at first, I found it very pleasurable and lots of fun to do. But then again, I got really scared that one day I wasn't going to be able to get back into my body and be myself. This is so there's these things on the checklist of of uh, I guess just paranormal stuff and we're hitting a lot of them, you know, psychic abilities, um, uh, the out of body thing. Now, your brother had a near death experience. Yes. And this is your brother, Ted. And and so he shared this with you, obviously. And what what happened? Well, he was woke up very sick and was running a fever one day and it was a school day. 
And my mother worked and my dad worked and they went off to work. And usually if my mother wanted me to stay home and watch him, she'd tell me, but she didn't. So I went to school and he said he was there all by himself. And let's see, he probably was, I can't remember, uh, 12, something like that. He was still fairly young. And he said um, during this horrible high fever, it got worse after everybody left. And he said he knows he died. And um, when he passed away, the next thing he knew, he was being carried across this roadway. And he said it was very, uh, no houses, nothing around, just like a field and had kind of a, uh, a dirt roadway. And they went in or went down uh, some steps into this room. And he said he was being carried and then he was put down. And he says now he thinks Jesus was carrying him. And um, he viewed this. Um, there were other people around him, quite a few down there in this dark room in the ground. And there was a giant standing on a balcony. And he said the giant would ask some questions of people, and if they didn't answer right, he'd just pick them up and throw them down real hard, which he felt if they were throwing them into hell. And um, he, he said he was really terrified. But nothing happened to him. The giant didn't do that to him. So he later got out of that room and returned home, so he felt it just wasn't his time to die. And then years later, was it him that read an article, or was it you that read an article? No, he read the article. Yes, I forgot about that. He was sitting in the doctor's office waiting for his wife to come out, and there were magazines there, and he was reading this article on a person that described very near the same uh, situation that he was in of this giant and throwing people into hell. And he said he just couldn't believe it. And they were talking about their near-death experience. So he said he knew then he had really died. And this person was describing the same thing. So before we take our next break, you know, what are you doing these days? What type of investigation work are you doing? Well, I am with MUFON, Mutual UFO Network. Um, Missouri move on and I'm now section director for Kansas City with them and I'm a star team investigator so when people report seeing flying saucers or you know UFOs we don't we never know for sure what they are uh, unidentified flying objects um, lights or they report it to move on and then we're assigned cases and we go out in the field and investigate so um, I, I do that quite a bit, and um, I really enjoy it because um, the stories I hear, it just <laughs> some of them are just unreal. And um, the people I meet, nice people down to earth and not, you know, somebody that would make things up, and their stories are just so interesting. I enjoy doing the field investigations a lot. And you work with Margie Kay. Yes, Margie and I, Margie is assistant director for Missouri MUFON, and Debbie Ziegelmeyer is the director. She lives in St. Louis, but Margie K. just lives, oh, maybe five miles from me, not far. And we do a lot of investigations together, uh, and um, we do um, a presentation together called Two Women in a Map, and we write about all the experiences that her and I have had together in our travels. And many of those are in the book. I mean, it seems like she, at a certain point in the book, becomes a, a central character. And um, and I remember her. She had a radio show a while ago. And she is a working psychic as well as a remote viewer as well as a UFO investigator. Yes. Is that right? Yes. She's a renowned psychic. And she published my book. She also has a small publishing company that she works on and publishes a lot of books, paranormal, uh, most of them. And uh, she's written many books herself as well. 
And she just did come out about six months ago with a new book about the UFO flap here in Kansas City. Um, and then um, she's got another one she's just about ready to release. So she writes a lot of books. Let's take our second break right now. And, and then when we get back, we can talk about some of the deeper things in your book, because I don't want to be interrupted by these breaks when we get into some of those things. So... We'll take our second break. For free Dreamlanders, you will hear a few commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. We are back on The Unseen with my guest, Gene Walker. And for the next half hour, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the some of the more troubling issues that surround these experiences. Now, Gene, at the beginning of Chapter 9, and that chapter is titled An Awakening and Psychic Events, you told a story that seems like a dream. You were describing it as a dream. And you met a boy while in a large round room. I would love to hear that story. Yes, I um, have, in, in chapter seven, I talk about, I call them the baby stealers because they stole four of my children. And I um, had these four miscarriages. They were pretty early on, like three months, one was four months, and I knew they had taken my babies. After I got much older, I realized what exactly took place because they were very strange. They were not like normal miscarriages. And I um, had this, what came to me in a dream, but later I realized it felt so real because it was real. And I found myself sitting in a round room that had windows around it. And it was all like um, chrome steel. There was nothing soft, no cushions, no rugs. It was just all very sterile. And um, a big machine was on my right side. And on my left side were these elevator doors. That's what it looked like because they just opened up, and I was sitting there on a bench that also wrapped around this round room. And I seen the door open, and out came a man. He was tall, blonde, blue-eyed. He had on a white robe that was wrapped with gold uh, ties. And he had a little boy with him about seven years old, maybe uh, eight. Um, and he had, and the little boy was blonde and blue eyed as I am. And he uh, had his arm around the little boy on his shoulders. And he kind of pushed him out. And they stood in front of me. And I knew looking at this child, this was my child. And I put my arms around him and gave him a hug. And this whole time, I'm sitting on a bench. And I held him for as long as I could. And then I let go. And the man just tapped the boy on the shoulder. And they turned around and they exited out of the room on those elevators again. Or the doors. I don't know if it was an elevator, but it was into some other place. And I, um, mother's instinct, I guess, I knew that was my child. And they let me see him. And I don't remember how I got there. And I don't remember how I left. And at the time, so that would have lined up the age of the boy with one of the miscarriages. Yes, exactly. The miscarriages all happened within just a few years of each other. It wasn't spread out over a real long time. And a uh, couple of years, I'd say. And then uh, I was never able to have my own child. Um, later down the road, I adopted my son as an infant. I mean, he couldn't be any more mine than he is. And I talk about that in the last chapter of my book, because Margie Kay one day looked at me. She knows my son. She knows me really well. And my son's name is Tommy. And she said, 
Jean, you do know that Tommy is a star child. And I just sat there looking at her and I thought, yeah, you know, I did know that. And I don't know how I knew it, but I knew it. He's very artistic. He's a singer. He sings and he writes music and he is a great talent. And I'm not just saying that because he's my son. Kind of interesting. Does he have any psychic abilities? He has very strong senses. So I guess he's more of a sensitive than a psychic. No, he's not really real psychic, but he has very strong um, instincts that usually help lead him the right way. Now, this is something that I have heard a lot, exactly the story you tell. Now, there's, there's a, I've definitely noticed a pattern of people who have been adopted within this within these matters, within this kind of contact experience. And I've definitely talked to a lot of women who tell very, very similar stories to what you just told as far as missing children and then children being presented to them years later and the ages all match up. Well, I started reading about um, different UFO stuff uh, once I got, oh, probably in my late 30s. And I one time read of a woman that when I read the article, I just about fell off my couch. I couldn't believe it because she was describing the same thing practically that happened when I got to see my child. Yes, it's 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 all over the literature. Yes. And, and it's every time I've talked to someone who's told me the story in person, it is very emotional for them to tell that story. Understandably. Yes, it is. And I had. I had a rough time writing about it, but um, I think it was good for me to do it and get it out of me, some of it, because I, I really had a great hate for aliens, for what they did to me. And I think they finally, years later, realized how bad they had messed me up physically and mentally in doing what they did to me. And um, they gave me my son, and he was really meant for me to have. And we're very close, my son and I. Matter of fact, he's almost 50 now, and he lives right next door to me. So. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes. Oh, so now when we met, we met at the UFO conference in Arkansas, yeah. and I looked at your book, and you said, oh, owls, because I have an owl right on the top of my book. You have a wonderful owl story that, that is in the book about going to a location where um, you were acting as an investigator. Yes, we were out investigating. As a matter of fact, this is the case I'm going to write about in my next book. I'm going to put this in there because so much has happened. I've worked with this person for seven years now, and it's just constantly something happening. But um, she had seen these owls on her property, and I went out there with, uh, let's see, four other investigators and uh, because— Everybody wanted to see what was going on. And the two men that were with us, and it was Margie Kay was the other person, um, saw this big owl up in a tree. And they were hollering at me. They said, you know, come over here, Gene, come over here. I was walking around the property taking photos. So I had my camera around my neck. And the two men that seen the owl hollered for me to come over. I went over there and the owl was up in the tree was a big owl and I took numerous photos and then I walked forward probably 10 feet trying not to scare him off and took more photos and then I did it again about 10 feet closer so right after that he took off flew into the field next to us uh, and disappeared so when I came home, I downloaded my photos, and there was no owl in the pictures. I couldn't believe it. And everybody saw me take pictures of him. The tree was there, no owl. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I mean, we are, I mean, so I have not heard this story exactly, but I have heard many, many stories that have the same flavor or the same tone. So what you say I mean, it's a remarkable story, but it doesn't surprise me, given that you were at the home and at the site where someone lived who was having a lot of UFO contact experiences. It's very normal. 
Margie Kay had actually seen an alien there on the property before. Well, can you tell that one? This was not in the book. Oh, okay. Yeah, we well, we went out there so much. Um, w- again, we were there was the same people there, and we were watching this light that one of us had spotted in the sky, and the light would go. Um, it was moving, and it was going across the sky, and it was very bright and blinking. And Margie Kay was sitting in a chair right in front of me, a lawn chair. I standing, and um, there was another guy standing to my left behind her. And all of a sudden, Margie Kay jumps up out of her seat, goes, oh, my God, oh, my God. And she took off running. And I was going, Margie, what's wrong, what's wrong? And she said there was a little alien. He's about four feet tall. And she said she's watching this light in the sky. She turns around and he's just standing there looking up in the sky at what we were looking at. Like he was just doing what we were doing. And she turned her head and seen him and it just scared her to death. I just heard a story. Just someone contacted me. She's had owl experiences. This story did not have an owl in it, but she tells a very similar story where her and her boyfriend were looking at a UFO in the sky, and then she turned around and saw a floating, like almost like a bubble, a floating bubble. And within that bubble was, she could see like an alien in the bubble, and and it was very eerie to hear her tell this story. And her sense was that um, that the the UFO was a distraction, so that the that this bubble with seemingly with an alien inside it, a skinny you know visitor, a skinny um, little being, that it could then get close to them. So that was her sense that the UFO was a distraction. Well, I could understand that. It would make sense. Um, we also caught lots of orbs. That place had so many orbs outside. One of the orbs we could actually, when we took the photo, I think it was me. I have it somewhere. But inside the orb looks on the computer screen, looks like there's a little alien inside of it driving it. Wow. Okay. That's that in essence what the bubble looked like, according to this woman. Yeah. Yes. That's what I was thinking of when you said the bubble. Now, um, do you know Christopher Bledsoe or have you heard of him? No, I'm sorry, I haven't. Oh, that's fine. He's a he's a fellow. He lives in North Carolina, and and I've been to his house a couple of times. I have seen orbs at his house. I've actually seen a, a, a I will call it a UFO. It was a very small dot way up in the sky, but it was making very odd, unusual motions. It certainly didn't seem like a plane. It didn't seem like a satellite. So I've seen an orb and a UFO. I've had some odd experiences at his house. He had um, a dog he loved, his dog Buddy. And he buried his dog in the backyard and he carries a camera around and he gets orb pictures all the time. He puts them on Facebook and he, this is on Facebook if you dig it out. Okay. He has a picture he took above where Buddy is buried. It's this big orb. And I, you do not have to squint your eyes to see a dog in that orb. Oh, wow. Like a dog, a happy dog's face. And he said that looks just like Buddy. It was the expression that Buddy would make. Well, you know, there's no real consensus as to what these orbs are, but um, a lot of people seem to think that they are spirits. And when I was out there taking those photos, I also caught a good picture of a fairy, and that's in my book. Mm-hmm. This is very difficult, right? You you try to uh, get an answer from a photograph. It's very difficult. Yes. Right. So you, you can. I mean, there's any number of ways to 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 read some of these photographs. But similar to Chris Bledsoe's home with a lot of orbs, this home seems to have a lot of orbs. Now that that's to me is telling. Yes. Yeah. She we she had absolutely everything out of there, out there rather, and she moved since then. But she's not too awful far from where she was originally, where all this stuff happened. And she's still having a tremendous amount of stuff going on. I tried to record it all. Uh, sometimes we report some of it to move on, but she has so much going on that um, I just try to record it all and 
talk with her and I still I go over there a lot at, and night watch with her. She's out all the time, this girl. And um I that's why I'm gonna write a book on her too, you know. It's just unbelievable the things that happen on this case. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh let's jump to one more story. And I front loaded you a little bit. We talked about this before we started the recording. Uh, this is a story that happened to your brother Ted. Yes. And it's a like back to little elf fairy people. Uh, this is something that happened while he was fishing at a lake. Is this lake nearby, near where you live? Yes, it is. Not far from us. Okay. And uh, so if you could tell that story, and, and believe me, this is one of those wow stories that nobody would make up. So when I read this in the book, I was I was just like, I didn't know it. I did not know what to think. Like, like it doesn't have it. There's no UFOs in the story, but it is the kind of stories that are told by people who have UFO contact experience. I've actually never heard this story exactly, but it it is it's as weird as it gets. So yes, I've never heard a story like this either. But like I said, my brother is a very down to earth, honest man, and he if he tells me something, I know it happened. He doesn't make stuff up. But he was he loves to fish and he was out here at one of the lakes that we have nearby and fishing. And it was a warm, sunny day. And uh, he said there were two guys on the other side of the lake part that they were fishing on. And they were all standing there with their lines in the water. And my brother was sitting in a chair, lawn chair, right across from these two men to his left was a wooded area and so Ted my brother's just sitting there fishing and out of the woods walked a boy and a girl and he said they were very strange looking he said um, they kind of their ears were shaped like Dr. Spock <laughs> and they, <laughs> they were pointed and he said they had little bitty noses and but their size was like a regular teenage boy and girl size. And he said they walked up to the left of him and he said he kind of glanced at him but didn't want to stare. He said, but he kept noticing how weird they looked. He had pointed nose and pointed ears and small features in the face. So he said uh, the guy just laid down on the ground the girl dropped her jeans, <laughs> got on top of this guy, started having sex. Now, you can imagine how he felt. He's out here just fishing in the middle of nowhere, you know. I mean, there's two other guys across from him. I said, well, did they see it? Did they say anything? He said, no. He said, I, and he says, I kept trying not to look at him. Because he said, he said it was just more than I could do. But, you know, he said that he, he kept out of the corners of his eyes and he turned and looked several times. So when they finished having sex, he said the guy got up and zipped his pants up and the girl put hers back on. And he said the man walked over to him and bent over and stuck his face in my brother's face and just smiled like did you see what I just did or whatever and he said I was afraid to do anything he said I was really scared about what in the world is going on and he said then the guy straightened up stood there for a few seconds and went back and got the girl and they walked back into the woods Nobody would make up that story, right? No, so, <laughs> so, he was just dumbfounded. So he actually got a close-up look of this at this what you what amounts to a teenage boy with pointed ears. Yes, he said his was pointed too. He said he never seen anything like it. <laughs> that that like, that might oh, not make it into. We might have to edit that part out. I'll, that's I'll. <laughs> why I was telling you it's very sexual. I mean, he you know they what. My point is, by saying that, though, is is just how strange they were in looks. I am I am at a loss to. But so so this is what happens. I think we are confronted with 
absurdities. There are absurd elements to these stories, and this story is as absurd as it gets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just, I, I, it's, it's on many levels, it's ridiculous, right? Yes, I agree. But this is the kind of thing that occasionally shows up in these in these accounts, or not occasionally. It's it's woven into the mystery. Um, now, your brothers had a handful of UFO sightings, like powerful UFO sightings. Yes, um, one was very powerful. He was um, working with a good friend of ours that my parent, my mother had grown up with these people and um, this couple. He was over there putting in a window up on a second story with the man that owned the house and they were, he was just helping him. And, um, he said he looked out the window and he seen this flying saucer actually land, right? Cause it's really country area type where he landed. I mean, where the house was and then where the spaceship landed. So he said he couldn't believe his eyes. He says, it looks just like what you see in the movies. It was saucer-shaped. It had lights going around it. He said he couldn't believe his eyes. He, he yelled at the guy that was the homeowner there. says, Wayne, look at this. And Wayne looked out the window, and he seen the same thing. And it was probably, oh, less than 200 feet from him. And... My brother said, Wayne said, good Lord, what is that? And he says, and then it just raised up and disappeared over to this wooded area, which has a road that runs right in front of it. So on his way home, just to see if it was maybe it had landed over there in that field, he um, got up and, or he drove over there and looked, but he couldn't see it again. Wow. Okay. And so you've had your own experiences with seeing UFOs, obviously. There's a lot of them in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was so strange about this particular sighting is my husband and I had gone up to a McDonald's and we were just going through the drive up. And to my right, I looked and I screamed at my husband, oh my God, look. And he was a pilot. And um, there were these bright lights that, and they were good size. And they came down like they were in a formation. And they, they looked like they were landing. There must have been eight of them. And where they were landing, I didn't think about this until years later, was the exact same spot that my brother had seen that UFO probably 10 years earlier. Wow. But it was the same same area of the city. So I thought that's just, I've just had so many things that happen that are coincidental, but I don't believe in coincidence. I think it's something that's meant to happen or it happens for a reason because these things like this just keep happening to me. Now, you are at the point now where you've written a book, You've had a lifetime of very strange experiences, as has your brother, as has other members of your family. What do you, what do you make of it? What do you, what do you, what do you think is happening? Well, I wish I really knew. I, um, I've had so many experiences, um, and I think they keep abducting me. Which now that I'm so much older, I have no idea why they would want to abduct me now. But I know I've had um, implants in my nose, and they have put new ones in numerous times to keep track of me. So I don't know if they're doing healing on me or if they're watching me for other reasons. I, I have no idea what's going on. And it's so hard for me sometimes to distinguish between what is an alien and what is paranormal. And there's a blurring. I agree. That's that's very common in this to 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 have both of them or multiple things. You have you have you know so collectively between you and your brother, multiple. you have uh, paranormal events that some some of them feel like hauntings, some of them feel like poltergeists. Yes, you have had uh, your brother had a near death experience. You've had out of body experiences. 
and you have very strong psychic skills, given what you've shared in the book. Oh, well, I do. I wish um, I wish I could control it better and be able to do like what my grandmother does. It either comes to me or it doesn't. And I I don't really meditate. I should I should spend more time working on it. My father got killed in a plane crash and um, when he was 59 and he was 24 years older than me. So I was like in my 30s and it was very devastating to me. I mean, he was alive one minute and the next he was gone. So um, he has come through to me, though, in dreams, repetitive dreams I kept having where he was telling me to go look for something in my grandma's house, same house that my great-grandmother Nettie lived in. And um, when I did finally do it, I found what he wanted me to find, and the dream stopped. And do you feel comfortable sharing what that was? Well, you can I, say no. You can say no. That's a, I actually had that on my list of questions. I had this story on my well, list of questions. And if people want to find out more, they can read the book. That's one way to, to address it. Yes. Um, my grandmother had this closet. It was a dead-end stairway. She always called it Fibber McGee's Closet. Now, for younger folks, I'll interrupt younger folks. I, I, I actually know what Fibber McGee's Closet was. There was a, there was a radio show called Fibber McGee and Molly. And at yeah. one point in every show, they'd say, don't open that closet. And then that someone would open the closet. And they had a sound effect of what sounded like everything in the in a junkyard falling into, yes. the, into the living room there. Oh, you described it so well. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, uh, I, I, I kept telling my grandmother, Dad wants me to go up there and look for something of his. And she says, honey, the stuff he brought over was all in the basement. She said he never took anything up in that closet. Well, the dream continued and continued. And so finally, I was over there one day. I said, well, do you mind if I go up there and just look? She said, no, go ahead. So I crawled through all this stuff and you go up some steps and there was a landing and then you turn to the right and there were about four more steps and then it dead ended into a wall. So I uh, was sifting through stuff and I found this cigar box and I know my dad used to always keep stuff in the cigar box. And uh, so I looked in there and I seen his badge for where he had worked and uh, I knew it was his paper. So I took the box, went downstairs, set the kitchen table and went through it. And um, my dad had had an affair when he was married to my mother, and I knew he was doing this, uh, and the woman, and um, she was married too. But in there, he had this paper from a doctor that told about a pregnancy test. And he'd kept that pregnancy test all those years. So I knew my dad was telling me to go up there and find this box. He wanted me to know that I have a half brother somewhere. And did you ever find that half brother? No. And this is another thing I wanted to do in regression. I can remember the man's name and I can't remember their last name. And I remember when they had that baby and then they moved and because I can't remember the last name, my brother couldn't either. Uh, I'm hoping I can be regressed and remember, because I know I know it, but I can never remember it. Well, so what I may do is I may edit out a little bit of that just because um, I feel I would feel uncomfortable putting mm -hmm. information about a person who's obviously grown up now, obviously, but I would feel a little cautious putting that out there. I know it was my dad's child, and even though she was married, my dad would not have kept that in that box with all this other stuff. Well, even just a cigar box, so it wasn't yeah. that much. And once I found that, I never had the dream again. Very interesting. And how, do, how would I have known that big old house and my grandma's? How would I have known where to look if my dad hadn't come to me repeatedly in dreams? Yeah. And he told me where to look. Jean, we are getting very close to the end of our interview time. Okay. And I want, so here's one question that having read the book, I like, I feel like I need to ask is now, what is your sense? Are these beings, what you've been interacting with, 
are they benevolent or are they evil or are they are they malevolent uh i've had a hard time figuring that out because i wake up all the time and i record i take pictures when i can of marks i wake up with that i didn't have when i went to bed some are like scratches some are like bruises and just so many weird things. I mean, I've had a lot of them. So I don't know what's hurting me or why it's doing these things to me. Is it trying to get my attention? Is it something very evil? Is it maybe not the aliens? Maybe the aliens aren't doing it to me and it's some other creature that has come in. But I still get these things all the time. So... I felt like they were evil because they took my babies. You know, that's a horrible thing to do to a woman. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I I felt that there was nothing they could have ever done that would have hurt me worse than that. That they, you know, they just tore my heart out, truthfully. And so I never looked at them as being good. And all the encounters that I can remember, except for the one where they did at least let me see my child, they were not good encounters. Okay. Okay. Because that's actually, this is something that I'm very aware of, that there's a, within this field, and you must sense it when you go to UFO conferences and stuff, that some people see these uh, experiences as like our space brothers. And then others see it as our space demons or something like that. So there's these there's two sides of this, of this, um, mm -hmm. there are two divergent frames of thought on this stuff. And I think you could cherry pick the data, right? You could cherry pick stories to make whatever you wanted out of this. But I, I'm very aware that some people are having really hard experiences. And I am certain that other people are having really benevolent experiences too. So, so I'm, you know, I'm at a loss to what the true agenda is. Me too. And they did give me my son. That was a lot. And so I don't know either. I just, I understand. I, I've seen both sides too with other people. They'll tell me their experiences were always good. Like there was one man in our MUFON group that he says they heal him all the time. That they work on his feet and they work on his back and they're always healing him. And I've certainly heard healing stories too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I want to thank you so much for being so honest, both in this interview and in the book. Uh, and and how would how do people get in touch with you if they want to get a hold of you? Well, you can always email me at J M W Blondie B L O N D I E at hotmail dot com. And um, how do they get a hold of your book? They can email me for one. I'll give them a signed copy, which is really what I prefer, and I'll mail it to them. So they might have, well, they might have to pay a little bit more, uh, or it is on uh, Amazon. Wonderful. And the title of the book is Family Secrets by Gene Walker. Yes. And, uh, you know, I'd like for them to go to my website, which is genemwalker.com. That sounds wonderful. And there's a video on there of me talking about a lot of these experiences. So that was a very good video. I remember watching that, and I remember, uh, and I really respect the fellow Adnan who does those videos. Oh, he's so good, and he made me look so good on there. Good for him. He, was, he really helped me through that. Yeah, he, he, do, he does great work. Well, I want to thank you once again so much for this. It was really an honor to have this talk. Well, I feel the same way. I appreciate you asking me for an interview. Thank you. You're very welcome. This is Mike, and I am chiming in after the editing. Now, I finished Jean's book just a few days before recording this interview. And in some ways... It was a tough book to read. There, there were a lot of sad events in her life, but she has a very straightforward way of writing, and I suspect that you could probably hear that in her voice. I think it is terribly important that these kind of memoirs are being written. In the beginning of our talk, 
Jean said that this book was hard to write and that it brought up a lot of difficult memories. I am grateful for Jean's book and other books like hers. A few more things. When Jean spoke about the recurring dream to look in her grandmother's closet, some of the things she shared I felt were too personal, so during the editing I snipped out some parts. And to you as the listener, it might have sounded a little bit choppy, but I I just didn't feel right to post it the way it was recorded. Also, I told a story about a floating bubble, uh, and this matched some details of an account that Jean shared during our talk. Uh, There is a lot more to say about that floating bubble story, uh, including owls, and I hope there is a day that I can talk more about it here. It is a very interesting set of stories. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.